Thanks, guys. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can open it to Ephesians. Um, we're going to be in a couple of different spots in Ephesians tonight, um, mostly Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 5. Um, so we're in the middle of our on questioning the church and uh, kind of a, a series within that series is we're, we're beginning is talking about images of the church. We talked about a couple last week about the body and the building of Christ and how it was the church last week. Uh, and I've kind of stumbled upon this thought this week. Um, the church is a very, uh, very abstract, hard to lay hold of, invisible thing. And um, so Scripture uses lots of metaphors. And we're looking, we looked at two last week, we'll look at two more tonight. Uh, but lots of metaphors to, to really allow us to lay a hold of it. And there's a, there's a really old and really bad, I don't remember the name of it, movie up with, uh, with Chevy Chase from like the 80s. Uh, let's hear it for the 80s. Uh, thanks. Uh, anyway, really bad Chevy Chase movie from the 80s where he's an invisible guy and uh, he takes this serum or something to be invisible and it's really, you can, Chevy Chase, invisible, you can, probably write the, the movie in about 20 minutes. Uh, but the whole movie, the only time you can see Chevy Chase when he's got his hat on. And so, like, you see, you see this hat floating around, this bad 80s cinematography, uh, this hat bouncing around. But the, the metaphor, the, the illustration that's there is these metaphors of Christ and the building of Christ. And, and tonight we'll, we'll look at, uh, look at things, the, the temple, the church is a temple, and, and we'll look at the, the church as, uh, as a bride of Christ. And these are really things, I think, that the church is this abstract, invisible thing. These metaphors are like that hat, allowing us to see it and, and put clothing onto this invisible creature so that we can kind of understand its, its, uh, what it looks like and, and understand its, its size and, and just be able to, to see it and lay a hold of it and, and actually visualize it. Uh, last night, yesterday, Brianna graduated from high school, and so we had this big, had, yes, <laughs> so we had some people over last night, had this big turkey dinner, it was like Thanksgiving Day at, at my place last night, I worked a lot in the backyard, and I came inside, and there was this overwhelming turkey smell, the turkey had been roasting for like three and a half hours in my oven, and it was just like, you ever walk into a, a like, Whenever you're having Thanksgiving dinner, you walk into the door, wherever it is, like to mom's house or something, and the turkey smell just, wow, that smells really good. Or, and then you, it smells really good, and then you finally get to taste the turkey. Or, uh, I actually am the one that got the carb of the turkey last night, so I got to feel, smell, and taste the turkey last night. But, and all of that is to say, our, our senses of smell and taste and touch allow us to apprehend things in this planet. We can smell, we can taste, we can touch, and they allow us to interact with things. And so the church, this very nebulous, abstract idea and concept, we need these metaphors so that we can taste and smell and interact with the church because it is an invisible, nebulous, hard to, to lay hold of thing. Does that make sense? So that's the purpose of these metaphors. And I want to reiterate that these are, these are metaphors that will allow us to help us to understand what the church is all about. And so we're doing this at the beginning of the series. This is the third message of the series. 
so that we can begin to understand what the church is, but see these metaphors and help us to, to kind of refresh our minds of, of where we are and, and what we're going. So that's the, that's the gist of it. First, we're going to talk about the church being a temple. Uh, before we get there, let's, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your son. I thank you for uh, how you've persevered Scripture into our lives and, and kept it for us that we can study your word and how you've revealed yourself and revealed your character to us. Lord, I, I, we, we trust you that your word is true. We trust you that your word is what you mean for us to know. I pray now as we walk through this message tonight that you would free us from distraction and that we would have a real tangible encounter with you uh, here tonight. We thank you for Jesus. Amen. So this, again, is a continuation of last week's of images of the church to draw principles about the church. And again, we're kind of working with this definition that the church is a group of called out believers that have been set apart by God for the purpose of, of doing and achieving God's purposes on this planet. And mainly, that main purpose is to bring His story of redemption for all of mankind to the world. So that, that is the goal of the church. The goal of the church global, the goal of the church local, the goal of the church north church. And so... Uh, we, we need to keep that in mind as we try to lay hold of, of what it is. So let's talk a little bit as we get into this book of Ephesians. Paul was uh, the great missionary, and he planted churches, many, many churches, probably hundreds of churches across uh, Asia and Europe, and one of the churches that he started was in a place called Ephesus. And when he went to Ephesus for the very first time, there, was, there were no churches at all of any kind in the whole city. And so Paul goes, and he has encounters with uh, with some people in, in Ephesus, and, and God does some miracles. He, he shatters the jail, and, and a lot of prisoners go free, and, but they don't run away, and there's a lot of miracles that are happening, and, and God is, is very, very famous in Ephesus when Paul goes there. And so a lot of people are converted to the faith in Ephesus, and Paul starts a church, appoints leaders, pastors, elders, and all that in the church. And then he goes away, and a, a year or so later, he writes this book that we know as as a to this church. So basically, what the book of Ephesians is, is instructions on how to be a church to a baby church that's in an economic center, in a, a, a political center, a geographic center, and a, a center for commerce in all the world at this point. So it's a very strategic city, and it's a baby church, and this is Paul's direction for them on how to be a church. So that's the context of, of the entire book more specifically the context of the first two chapters. We're going to end on the last four verses of the second chapter, but before we get there, let's breeze through real quick what the first two chapters are. And what the, and, and I'm going to throw a, uh, just some highlighted stuff up there on the screen. Go ahead and, and fire that up. These, this is uh, just some statements that are made about you and I as believers in Christ from Ephesians 1. And Ephesians 1, again, instructions to the church. Paul spends the first chapter telling the church, the people, who they are. And as he walks and gives instructions to the church, it's vital for us to understand who we are. So for us, as we encounter this series on the church, we have to understand this. No matter who you are, where you are, in your walk, brand new Christian, a 90-year-old Christian who's lived his life perfectly and and done everything that he's supposed to do and and followed all the rules, or whether you're a 90-year-old who has done none of that, this is what Scripture, this is what God says about you. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you are predestined. 
predestined to be who you are. And second, and this is ridiculously important, we need to know this, we need to come to grips with this, and we need to beat it into our heads. You are holy and you are blameless. And understand this, because you are holy and because you are blameless and because you are predestined, what you do on this earth, whether you, you get everything right or not, or whether you, you can't do anything to please God because you stand before God because of the work of Christ, holy and blameless. And Paul is saying this at the onslaught of teaching about the church to the people that make up the church. So that's us. He's speaking to us. In order for us to understand our instructions and what we are to do as a church to bring this redemptive plan of all of mankind to fruition, we have to first start with this. We are predestined and we are holy and blameless before God. Understand that. You are holy and blameless before God. Powerful. Next, in Him we have our redemption, which means our redemption. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but our redemption, our coming back into relationship with God is holy on Christ and not anything on ourselves. There's nothing we can do or we can't do to make ourselves any cooler or any more loved or any, any more sinners than, than just being who we are. But Christ, we have a redemption. Because of that, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, that phrase, obtained an inheritance, isn't something that, that we've done or, or whatever. It's a gift that's been given to us. Yesterday, Brianna got a computer for graduation from my parents. And she did nothing but have the last name of Maxidon to get that. We do nothing to receive this inheritance. We just open our gift, and there it is. It's us. And we don't have to do anything to get it. We don't have to do anything to keep it. We have obtained. This is part of, it's a mark in our column. It will be a mark in our column forever, this inheritance. Its plan was to unite all things in Christ. We are separated from God from the, at the beginning, and God, through Christ, has united us. And we'll talk a lot about Next week, especially, we'll talk about community next week. And you hear those words come out of my mouth a lot. Community, community, community. And that word isn't just, you know, a local area that we live in. It's, it's the long word of the word commune. We partake of life together. God designed us to live in community, and we designed us to live communing with the Father, and we have been united in this communing sort of understanding in Christ because of the immeasurable towards us. So that is the sum up of chapter 1. Paul talking about who you are. That is who we are. Then he goes on, uh, in the last two verses of chapter 1, he says this, and he put all things under his feet, talking about Christ, and gave him as head over all things to the church. His body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the church. He gave all these gifts to the church so that the church could do its job to go and claim the message of the redemptive plan of God. That is our message. That is our point. Then Paul launches into the second chapter with some very straight, in-your-face talk about what the gospel is. He starts it off in verse 1. Fire that in chapter 2. You are dead in your trespasses and your sins. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. Notice that uh, you were. You, not you are. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. He is laying out the gospel here. And then it continues on. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He has loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Again, preaching the gospel to the heart of the church member, the person who makes up the church, so they can go and be who they're 
supposed to be. To the immeasurable riches of his grace, for by grace he was saved through faith. Hear his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought near. Again, we are proximity. We are in union. We are brought near to God. I want to go back to that word workmanship. That word workmanship is the same word that's used for poetry. I want to think deeply about that word poetry. You are the poetry of Christ. You're the poetry of God. And I think about, I've, I've written some poetry before, and, and there's a lot of artists in this group. And art is really just pouring out of who you are into your canvas, into your page, into whatever art form you take. It's pouring out of who you are, pouring your soul into something. That's the art. That's the poetry. And think about that concept, that God chose this word to come out of the pen of Paul to speak that we are the artistry. We are the poetry of God. God has poured his soul out of who he is and into us so that we can be this finished product, this poetry, so that we can reflect his glory. That's the purpose and, and point of the church. And again, this church is an abstract, invisible. These metaphors that we're using here, this poetry that we're using here, is something for us to lay hold of, the, to put clothing onto the invisible thing so we can interact with it in, in no dimensions. Uh, moving on into uh, the last four verses here of Ephesians. Verse 15. So then you are no longer strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Again, he's using metaphor to allow us to lay hold of, of what this church is and what it is. And he continues, we, this is verses we talked about last week when we're talking about the building of Christ. Verse 20. Foundation of the apostles and prophets. And last week we talked about that as scripture. Apostles and the prophets is another way to say the Scriptures. We are built on the foundation of the Holy Bible. And Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. The metaphor of the building. But at the end of this, He's going to get into the metaphor of the temple. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What a temple means is just a place where God dwells, a place where His Spirit dwells. And what is happening here, again, you're holy and blameless. You are right before God. There's nothing you can do to obtain this, but you have completely obtained it by no work of your own, and by grace you've been saved through faith. And all these things that we talked about in the, the first two chapters, he ends with this thought. All of this stuff that you are, all these gifts that I've given to you, are for this purpose. You are being built together and being transformed into a dwelling place for God. So the church is made up of a bunch of people who are being crafted and poetically crafted as the workmanship of God so they might be this dwelling place for the Spirit of God. All of that talk in these first two chapters leads to this great point that concludes in verse 22, which is a description of the church. The church is a dwelling place for by the Spirit. So we're being built together for this dwelling place. All these statements that were, that, all those statements back up there. Those statements that are there in Ephesians chapter 2, they're all there 
leading up to this climax, and the climax is you and I being this dwelling place, being this temple. Church is a temple because of all those things for the Spirit of God to land. And I want to want to say this. We were created to live in this perfect communing relationship with God. But there is a conspiracy, there's a sin conspiracy in this world conspiring against us to keep us from the one that we love. Um, last Sunday night, uh, several in this room gathered at the Sheets' place to, uh, to watch the finale Lost. Great television show. Fantastic um, if you didn't watch it, I'm going to show a clip here in a second of the finale. If you didn't watch it and you're going to watch it, uh, well, you've had a week, you should have watched it already. Uh, but the, the, I thought there's, there's been a lot of confliction about whether it was good or bad and answers and no answers and how they ended it, but the scene you're going to see is the very last scene. and It's, it's beautiful and it illustrates this point that I'm trying to make here. The world is conspiring. The sin that, that is among this world, the evil, the pain, the death, the, uh, the adultery, the jealousy, the hate, the pain, all these things that exist in this world conspire against us to be in real, intimate, communing relationship with the one that we love. In the movie, the show Lost, we see the, the, the culmination. The last scene is a culmination of, of all these different relationships that were, that were lost, that were, that were set apart from each other. Son and Jen were, were apart from each other for the whole last two seasons, and just difficulty, and even before they got to the island, there was, you know, he was trying to please his dad, and there's just so much wreckage in their relationship that kept them from enjoying the beauty of their love. The last, the, the main character in my mind is, is Jack and Kate, and they're the, the beauty of their relationship is there was, she didn't know if she wanted Jack or Kate, and she was, so that was conspiring against her and Jack to be together, and, and there's this, this massive, everything is conspiring against Jack and Kate to be together, and it's Sawyer, and it's death, and it's, it's Jack not realizing who he is, and not standing up and being a, being a man, and taking his role of leadership, and all that stuff together conspiring against them to to be in a position of love. So as we, as we watch this clip, I, I want you to look for the relationships that are culminated. And when I say that, I mean no longer is anything other than the love that they have affecting their relationship. And, and watch the clip, and we'll talk about it when it's over. I wanted to, to show that, especially the, the end of that clip, it's, how it's going back and forth from the church to the jungle, from the church to the jungle, because he's, Jack is, is staggering. He's got this huge knife wound that is claiming his life. He's going to die from this knife wound that he's got. And he's flashing back and forth to the staggering struggle that is this earth and then eventually he's going to be, and you know you can draw parallels in different ways, but the, the impact that I, I want to bring us to is that no longer is, is Jack affected by the sin of this world. No longer is he affected by 
the, Esau was just completely beat up in the jungle. He, he had been punched in the face and just destroyed and, and, and stabbed and nearly died and all these things. But the culmination is taking Kate's hand and, and living unaffected by anything but love. And this is the purpose of the church. Understand that this planet, we walk around, we, it's, it's the jungle on Lost. There, we are affected by death and by pain and by tragedy and by sickness and by jealousy and by pride and by all these different things. We are affected by the sin that is all over this world which keeps us from enjoying the fullness of relationship, the fullness of our love. And that love is God, and God has, has offered it to us, and, and the church brings that redemption, and it is the beacon of that redemption. It's the temple of that redemption. The church is God's temple. We are God's temple. But the, the second metaphor, the second clothing to place on this invisible church so that we can understand its dimensions is the fact that it is a bride. He uses the metaphor of marriage as a bride. Uh, and I want you to forget that as we walk through, skip over to Ephesians chapter 5. That's where this is, is going to come from. And this is Paul's teaching. Again, he's talked about the church, and then he's, he's in 3 and 4, he's talking about unity within the church and how to achieve unity within the church. And then he starts to get very practical and talk about how to be married within a church. And that's where Ephesians 5 comes in, and that's where this metaphor of the church as the bride of Christ comes in. But I, wanna, I want us to forget about the aspects of it being a bride, of, of the church being a bride. Forget about the aspects of the, the teaching of marriage. Ephesians 5 teaches how to be married, but let's lay that aside and just look at what it means to be the church and how the church is the bride of Christ. The other, and, and again, I, I want to say this too. The other metaphors that we've talked about so far are about here and now, the building of Christ, the body of Christ, the temple of Christ. They're about the here and now on this planet. But this, the bride, is really more about what is to come. We are the bride of Christ and what is to come. And there are elements and principles we can draw from the here and now, but ultimately this metaphor is for us to lay hold of the church to come and the promises that we will get to experience. Start with Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. Again, lay aside the teaching on This is instruction for the husband on how to love his wife. Lay that aside and just zero in on the church metaphor. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Understand this. Christ, Jesus Christ, loved the church. We are the church. The people make up the church. John Gill, a commentator on Ephesians 5, says this. Her head, being wholly dependent upon him and entirely resigned to him and have receiving all from him. Again, lay aside the husband and talk about Christ, our groom, from whom all is her expectation of provision, protection, comfort, and happiness. This is what we receive from Christ. Wherefore, she has respect to all his commands and esteems all his precepts concerning all things to be right, and yields a cheerful, voluntary, sincere and hearty obedience to them. This is us as the church. Because of all that Christ has done, we fall into line with all these things. 
we are obedient, we are sincere, we are cheerful, we are voluntary because of what He has done arising from a principle of love to Him. And joined, that's that word again, the unity, joined with honor, fear, and reverence of Him. But it, it goes on even more profound. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, so that He might sanctify her and cleanse her by the washing of water with the Word. Stop for just a second there on verse 26. We have been cleansed by the, by the work of Christ. The Word of Christ. We've been cleansed by it. We are now clean as a bride. And we'll talk about brides on their wedding day in a, in a second. Verse 27. So that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. The work of Christ, the purpose of Christ's coming is to present us, the church, to Himself perfect and, and beautiful and holy. The ESV Study Bible on Ephesians 5.25 says this, the church's utter holiness and moral perfection will be consummated in resurrection glory. Just like Jack and Kate experiencing their love for the first time, unaffected by anything but their love, we will experience that same. That, these words consummated in resurrection glory are deep and profound. That one day we will experience none of the pain and sin and hate and tragedy of this world and instead only be affected by the love of God. That is deep and profound and, and, and gives us hope for what is to come. Verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, lay aside the instruction of marriage, and come to this one, and two shall become one flesh. This illustration here that he's using is that the two become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Again, the ESV Study Bible on Ephesians 5.32. Paul's meaning is profound. He interprets the original creation of husband and wife union as itself modeled on Christ's forthcoming union with the church. What he's saying is God created marriage to illustrate for us the marriage that is to come. I love my wife. I can't imagine loving my wife anymore but I'm affected by sin and I can't fully enjoy what it means to be married to my wife because of the sin that I live in in this world. Because of my sin, because of her sin, because of your sin. We don't accept and, and encounter and, and embrace and enjoy the love that we are created to love. And it's, it's flawed in that we are flawed. But the beauty is that the coming day, the consummating day, is we will one day stand before God and be united in marriage in that way. And that union is there. Therefore, marriage from the beginning of creation was created to, by God to be a reflection of, reflection of and patterned after Christ's relationship to the church. Uh, weddings these days have become a celebration. 
families and friends, and we celebrate love. Two years ago, we got to experience Mike's wedding. We got to experience Jeff and Megan's wedding, and it was really cool because most of the North Church people were there, and we got to, to watch them say vows to each other and be joined in this union of marriage, and then massive party afterwards, and it was, it was really cool because it's a, a picture of, of what I'm, I'm, I'm getting at, what, what Scripture is getting at with this illustration of marriage in the church, because whatever was outside of the walls of, 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 of that church and that hall where, where Mike and Rachel and, and the church where Jeff and Megan got married, whatever was outside was, was placed outside, and we just enjoyed each other and enjoyed watching them say their vows to each other, and we threw this, this big party, and it was, it was fantastic, and, and we got to see this marriage be consummated, and it's, it's this picture and this image of what is to come, and do we understand that that small microcosm of a party is a picture of what's to come? Think about this, this idea. Think about the most fun wedding you've ever been to. And then it's, we, we watch these, these two people say words of love to each other and get to th- see this, this great party. And you're with friends and family and food and drink and dance and love is everywhere. It's a picture of what's to come. And this is the clothing that God is placing on the church so that we can see it and lay hold of it. This is a metaphor he's using. There's... Not much more in my life that brings a greater smile to me than to watch people be in love. And watch a couple that I care about be in love. And it's a picture of what's to come. It's a foreshadowing. Uh, I want to play another video clip for you. I I got a chance to to interview uh, Megan and, uh, and Rebecca to think about what the bride is doing for Megan looking back and for Rebecca looking forward at what marriage and the wedding ceremony was, was about. And, and understand this as we watch these, these two interviews. That Christ is the groom and we are the bride and he's coming back for us. Play those, Dave. So, the things to, to note about that is... Uh, one of the things Rebecca said is, I hope that I take his breath away and that he's accepting of me. And Megan said, the whole response to the question that Jeff had asked her and the, what, she would hope, that what she felt when she took his hand was, was just satisfaction. And I, I want us to, to understand that this metaphor of, of the we are the bride of Christ is that Christ has done all this laboring and all this suffering and all this dying and all this resurrecting to perfect us like a bride in the bridal suite getting ready, preparing for the day when she walks down the aisle and her eyes meet her husband. That's the, the beauty of what the church is. The church is that bride of Christ being prepared for that moment where the bride and the groom are a church aisle away and walking towards and then being brought together in perfect union. That is the purpose of the church, a purpose of the church, a metaphor of what the church is and what is to come 
is that one day we will be perfected, just like Megan and, and Rebecca talked about, of, of presenting themselves before their husband holy and blameless and perfect in every way. All the stuff that happens in the life of a bride leading up to, to her wedding day, the dress and all the stuff of, of the, the three, four, five different fittings and making sure that the dress is, is not wrinkled and making sure her face is perfect and, and, and checking out the, the different tones of makeup and the hair and the, the nails and, and all of these things and, and the, the colors in the room. Everything is leading up to that moment when the hands are joined together and the, the, the officiant says, you're now man and wife, you may kiss your bride. And God created all of that and stirred it up in our hearts to make this all perfect so that we could see the beauty of what is to come. And all the effort in, that, that Christ put forth makes all the effort of, of every bride on this planet just pale in comparison to what Christ has done so that that moment when we have breathed our last or when Christ comes back for us, that in that wedding feast, that wedding day, that ceremony, we can look into the eyes of our Savior and, and be joined in union. And that's the, the point of the church. That is the point of this metaphor so that we can understand it. Re- Revelation 19 and 21 have two verses, and I'm just going to read these and be done and let these marinate in your brains. Revelation 19.7 Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, that's heaven, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Let's pray. God, I pray that You would use these words to affect us all, God. Lord, I pray that You would use the imperfections of of this man and the imperfections of this church and the imperfections of this world to turn our eyes upon the perfection of You and the beauty of what we have in store, the greatness of what's to come, that we stand before You a beautiful bride, holy and blameless, awaiting our our unaffected union with You. Experiencing perfect love. Lord, I thank You for the gifts on this earth, the love that we get to feel for each other, the love that we get to feel for our spouses, and I thank you even for the turmoil that you get to that you place into our lives, the strain in our marriages, the strain in our other relationships, God. Because we understand that one day strain will be gone and we will experience love with you unaffected by sin. But for now we wait. And we remain in this building of the church. We remain in this body of the church. We remain in this temple of the church. And we remain in this bride of the church. And we rest 
there and await your coming. And do our best to reflect your perfect glory. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name.